Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. This is Good Morning New York, and I am Vince Rocco. On our show today, the true New Yorkers are all obsessed with real estate, and New York is full of amazing places to live, which is why it's not unusual to find oneself perusing real estate listings that are financially uh, out of reach. Everyone has their personal preference when it comes to their fantasy place, either the slick uh, penthouse with panoramic, panoramic views, the updated brownstone or townhouse on a leafy Brooklyn street or the Upper East Side, a classic loft in the Flatiron District. Here is where fantasy meets with reality, though. All of this window shopping prompts the same question from everyone. Why on earth would you ever leave that place? It's all about lifestyle or a change in lifestyle, and we will discuss all of that today with our panel. Also at this hour, approximately half of the luxury condominium units that have come onto the market in the past five years are still unsold. In Manhattan, the homeless shelters are full and the luxury skyscrapers are vacant. Such is the tale of two cities within America's largest metropolitan city. Even as 80,000 people sleep in New York City's shelters or on its streets, Manhattan residents have uh, watched sliver condominium skyscrapers rise across the island. These colossal towers initially transformed not only the city's skyline, but also the real estate market in New York for new homes. What happened? We will discuss. We are live from Smash Studios here in Hudson Yards, New York City, as Good Morning uh, New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning. In the news this morning, the shocking court ruling last week requiring developers to deconstruct 20 floors of a nearly completed Upper West Side condo building could put the project's financing in jeopardy. Late last week, the state Supreme Court ruled that SJP and Mitsui should not have been granted permits for their project, which towers over neighboring uh, properties on the Upper West Side based on a 39-side zoning lot that took advantage of nearby air rights. The developers argue that the judge's ruling contradicted previous decisions by the Department of Buildings and the Board of Standards and Appeals and said they will appeal. A representative of Mitsui said the company is in position to keep the project financed. Still, the developer's construction loan continues or contains a number of requirements that the lender could use to claim the loan is in default. The nearly 200-page loan agreement, for example, requires the project to be in compliance with all legal and zoning requirements. But the significant detail of a, in, uh, is a requirement that the project stay within a loan-to-value ratio of 65%. That means uh, for the $426 million loan, the assessed value of the project could go no lower than $655 million. But the project has a current projected sellout of $855 million, according to the state attorney general's office. So there's trouble brewing. But the developer of the 52-story project has sold units on the upper floors that might have to be dismantled if a judge's decision stands. If the top 20 floors are removed, this will cause a precedence. Precedence in the city that may become a problem. And I happen to know that a lot of those upper floors have been sold for lots and lots of money. Also, on January 28, 2020, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban uh, Development issued new guidance that breaks down the process of how housing providers should assess requests for assistance animals or service animals made by individuals with disabilities in compliance with the Fair Housing Act. The FHA prohibits discrimination against individuals with disabilities and housing providers are required to make reasonable accommodations when necessary 
to afford individuals with disabilities an equal opportunity to use and enjoy a dwelling. Uh, the guidance recommends a set of best practices for complying with the FHA for housing providers to follow. The guidance also dis- uh, discusses different types of animals as well as reliability of documentation obtained from third parties. Furthermore, the guidance provides best practices for documenting an individual's need for assistance uh, in animals, assisting animals in housing. We will provide you with more information as we get it. And just for the record, birds are not assistance <laughs> animals. <laughs> Good God. About miniature horses. In other news. <laughs> Mine's other emotional news, support. Well, you know, listen, you get them all, believe me. On a plane recently, a bird, someone tried to say that there was a, the bird she was carrying was her, uh, you know, her assistance animal. Oh, they can be calming, though, if you get, a one, you know, the right parrot to, you know, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> Deep breath. Deep breath. Sitting behind a parrot. Or you, you have an narcolepsy. Wake, right up, wake up. <laughs> Take your pills. <laughs> <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> more news. Billionaire Ken Griffin has added another property to his ever-expanding luxury portfolio. <laughs> Sorry, take two. Everyone. Calm down. Take Calm two. down. Okay. You need your emotional support, Bird. <laughs> Billionaire Ken Griffin has added another property to his ever-expanding luxury portfolio. The hedge funder, who uh, famously dropped two hundred and thirty-eight million dollars on a penthouse apartment at two twenty Central Park South, is now in contract to buy a compound in Southampton, New York, that belongs to Calvin Klein. This, according to the Wall Street Journal, Klein purchased the original property in two thousand and three for almost thirty million dollars. After a gut renovation, Klein decided to demolish the distinctive home and start from scratch. The home, which wasn't officially on the market, could be worth as much as $100 million, sources told the journal. The deal is yet to close. When it does, it will add significant value to Griffin's already enormous portfolio of luxury properties. The Citadel founder and CEO uh, also owns property in London, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Miami. His recent $99 million purchase in Palm Beach, Florida bought his total investment in that area to $350 million. I mean, you know, these numbers we talk about, I try and find a story like that every week. These numbers are insane. Calvin Klein spends $30 million, he renovates, now he sells it probably for $100 million, but if they're not telling you, it could be worth even more. Right. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've got an esteemed panel with us today. Sarah Rada is from Halstead, John Harrison from CORE, uh, Sean Atterbury from CORE, Auntie Jacket from Compass, and Matt Martin from Halstead as well. So good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, there we go. <laughs> we our coffee, I can tell. All right, so we're going to talk about luxury, uh, luxury housing today, among a few other things. And, you know, life really does cost more uh, in New York. To be precise, the cost of living in Manhattan was 148% higher than the average cost for major U.S. cities in 2019 around the nation. Manhattan takes the number one spot as ex- as the most expensive. Interesting, Brooklyn came in as only the fourth most expensive city at 80% above the average cost. That surprised me. I'm surprised it was only fourth. What was two and three? Maybe we'll talk about it. Consumer prices are 24% higher, while restaurant prices are 28% higher in New York City than in other cities uh, such as Chicago. Hence, the reason uh, prices have skyrocketed in recent years, now after several corrections, buyers and sellers are still seeking a certain lifestyle within New York City. So I think it was on last week's show, Matt, you were here, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mara was here as well, and we were talking about the threshold, I guess, the the line of what is luxury? And she said something about $5 million, $10 million, $15 million. We all decided it's about $5 million, correct? Mm-hmm. 
So let's use that as a benchmark today. Five million and above luxury have to have. <clears throat> excuse me, have to have. What is the what what is the lifestyle and how is it so affordable? So in other words, why you know why do you have to have that, and how does that relate to a lifestyle? Because you know people buy that not because it costs five million, but because they want to achieve a certain lifestyle or they want to be you know better than their friends or whatever. And <laughs> we laugh about this, but you know what? It's true, and we've all we've all worked with buyers and sellers like that. So what is that lifestyle that everybody, uh, I guess, needs to have in this town? We're talking you know, about New York. One of the things you mentioned, just to address the whole idea of the cost of living uh, so much higher, I think you said it was like 128%? 148. So, 148. So I feel like that doesn't, that's not really an exact math because if you were to take the cost per square foot, for example, we are so significantly higher than everyone else. So I think already to move to New York City, um, even with the greatly increased cost of living, you're still sort of compressing your life into a smaller space. So then what happens is to feel like you have a little bit of space and a little bit of a little bit of luxury, that's what pushes you well beyond what would be considered even 148% of a luxury price in another city. So that we have like $5 million kind of starting price for certain luxury prop, prop, um, properties around the city. Well, yeah, I, I get that. But, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Everything in this town is expensive. To buy a quart of milk, you, you're talking, mm-hmm. you know, three, four, five dollars. And, you know, when I used to go to the store around the corner from my mom when I was growing up, it was 99 cents. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I get it. Everything is high. But, but by the way, a five or 15 or 10 million dollar apartment today, as John just said, is small. And yeah, you think comparatively. it's going to be gigantic. No. It isn't. We're not talking it's about small. a mansion here. It's <laughs> tiny. You're talking 2,000 square feet. <laughs> People not do well, it. I sold even. a 19, I sold, I'm sorry, a 2,100 square foot apartment. We were just talking about it before the, the show started for $4 million yeah. a year ago. 1,900, maybe it was 2,000. I can't even remember. But, I, you know, come on now. Full floor. But what you do, it doesn't, you know, full floor doesn't mean that it's huge. Right. Mm-hmm. So, again, I say, you know, is it about price? Because it's certainly not about lifestyle. You can buy a $5 million mansion in the suburbs and have a lot more space and be a lot more comfortable. But then the so lifestyle you is you're removed from the city. I think that's right. just it is that to, to be well, here, to be, con- you know, to have proximity and convenience, it just costs so much more. Uh, well, true. And people do it uh, to scale on a more pedestrian level, if you will. So, um, for example, you, maybe you've got an $800 you know, pair of shoes and someone who's not a multi-multi-millionaire says, I have to have those. And that means something and it's a status symbol. If you scale that up, that same mentality buys the $5 million apartment, the $8 million apartment. We, we want something. Maybe it's a, you know, nobody's going to buy that apartment and put a really cheap rug in it. They're going to also say, well, now I need a designer rug. It's a lifestyle. It's a it's a certain um, match, I think, at that level. You know, a certain mentality of, you know, I'm affluent. Uh, the things that I have are the crowd that I run with. We belong to this golf course, com- country club, whatever. I mean, we're going to get to, you know, the, the, the difference between lifestyle selling and price selling in a moment. But I still go back to the lifestyle, you know, um, situation in this town. And it's not always about size. Sometimes it's about how you decorate and sometimes it's about how you live. And so that's kind of what I really want to get to. What are the components of living a higher lifestyle in this town? We all work very hard. We all work very long hours. We're all running in real estate anyway. We're running around the city, you know, north, south, east and west most of every day. Um, But, you know, 
what what do these people really look for when they say, well, I'm buying a lifestyle and it's a lot of, you know, hashtags of a lot of, you know, higher end agents in this town. I sell a lifestyle. What are they selling? Like this is, you know, I you know, people ask me out there, Vince, what do you mean by that when you say you're selling a lifestyle or people out there are selling a lifestyle? What does that really mean? You know, again, it, it, we'll keep pricing on the side for a minute, but what is services, the services, the quality um, of a finish, the the feeling of stepping into new condo developments. Yeah, I mean, a lot of new condo developments are really designed to deliver that lifestyle uh, of service, and sometimes it means amenity. It doesn't always mean that it has to be filled with amenities, but that's certainly a part of it. But stepping in and feeling like you can come home, you have enough space to stretch out into. Everything you need is right there. You're not far from anything. You can make a phone call or send a text or an email, and you have everything that you need. I think it really it it's sort of different for every person, depending. Oh, God, talking to this, uh, depending on who you are and what you're looking for. But I think every, the city's so crazy all the time. Like you were saying, Vince, we're on the go all the time. We're constantly surrounded by people. So for some people, it's coming home and not having a doorman. It's just having the space that they can decorate with comfy stuff like the sofa we were just on that you can barely get out of, but you can just lay out on because you just need a break. Some For other people, it's coming home and having that full service building where they cater to your every need, every beck and call because you've just been so overwhelmed outside the city. I think it really depending on the type of person you are, when you come home, you just want to feel like whatever it is that you need to get you away from that craziness that you've been experiencing all day, that's what luxury is to that person. I mean, it's also a matter of stature. I mean, if you're making, you know, you start out, you know, in your 20s in this town and with each year, you know, you get promoted, you make more money. So you feel like you have more money to spend. And, you know, when I think of luxury sometimes or when people come to me and, and, you know, as as John Harrison uh, down there and I, you know, sell uh, new development things uh, and Sean, uh, you know, people come, I have to have that penthouse or I have to have that townhouse that's part of this development. Uh, We're going to get into a lot more of that in a second, but we've got to take a break coming up after the break. Uh, More on that, more on lots of other things. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're coming right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. 
I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. We are back with Sarah Rada, Executive Director of Sales, Halstead Downtown, John Harrison Core, Sean Atterbury Core, Auntie Jacket Compass, and Matt Martin from Halstead. We've got a bro show and Sarah Yay, today. Lucky me. Lucky oh. lady over here. Absolutely, for sure. Okay, so we're talking about luxury lifestyle and what kind of drives people to wanting to live in these units, buy these units. I mean, I live in a one-bedroom pre-war apartment on the Upper West Side. That happens to be a very large size for a one-bedroom. I think it's almost a thousand square feet. But I, for to me, that's luxury. And to me, it's I guess about what you guys are saying. It's about lifestyle, and it's about how you live in your apartment, and it's mm-hmm. about what you expect when you come home, and you know how, how you live within your your confines. So, let's talk a little bit about price and value. So, when you're out there talking to sellers, and we all know how challenging it can be when we talk to sellers about pricing uh, or about reasons why they want to sell, et cetera, et cetera. So what, you know, how do you you factor in the lifestyle sell that you want to go out there and tell your buyers at some point versus the price? I mean, is it a price thing or is it a lifestyle thing? Sometimes there's a sense of Over community. Over $5 million. Too. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like everyone wanted to move to 150 Charles because that was a, meaning mm-hmm. it was like-minded entrepreneurs, celebrities, and then all those people kind of sold that and moved to the Greenwich Lane. They're the same, some of the exact same people. And that was the move that they made. And they were going for a sense of community. And that was worth the extra price tag to them. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying before. You know, and that's a great example. Greenwich Lane is the, the new kid on the block. It happened to be, you know, built really beautifully. Uh, and so it's a status thing. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I think it's it's also like playing to to the lifestyle piece. You know, we're in a society where it's like I want the next iPhone, the latest and greatest of everything. And the same thing I think holds like to Sean's point um, with real estate. It's like the latest amenity, the latest. You know, the developers are building even taller buildings. So let's go for, to this building with the highest view, the tallest building in the city. Whatever that is, I think we're a very aspirational city. 
We, we definitely are. But so so in conversation with sellers, you know, when you realize this is a five million plus, it could be 10, it could be eight, it could be seven. So <clears throat> what do you say to them as far as, you know, how you're going to market this unit as a different type of unit, you know, based on the what I have meat and potatoes today is up to three million, if you can believe that. <laughs> I remember the days when three and four hundred thousand dollars were meat and potatoes. But, you know, you market it differently because it's $5 million and above. It's considered luxury. So how do you do that? When you tell sellers, I'm, here's my marketing plan or here's how I want to get out to the audience of buyers out there, what do you say? Well, I think, um, I think video is playing a huge role in that where um, the agent and the videographer can create a story and really showcase the lifestyle that that property has. But it's also... You know, a lot of times sellers see their property and they say, well, this is the greatest thing and this is why I bought it, but it might not appeal to everyone. So you really have to measure and monetize in a sense what that luxury item in the building is that and see if you can actually use it to sell it and and market it against everything else that's out there. I agree with you, Sarah, on the on the video stuff. We plug plug Halstead. We have some agents in our in our company that really do brilliant, brilliant uh, videos and most of them are lifestyle based mm-hmm. and you get to see the difference it's not just your run of the mill apartment compared to something you know next door or whatever it they they're they're presenting a lifestyle and people who watch these including myself as an agent and I know what's behind the scenes it, they're brilliant and, and they make you think. It's true. You know, I'll, I'll just share something. You know, my, my husband and I just recently bought in Dumbo. And mm. it's funny because those Great people that news. know me would never think I would ever move to Brooklyn. I wouldn't So I went to this uh, development. Uh, it's called Front in York. We didn't end up buying there, but they show, they had a video in the showroom I was basically in tears after, and it really evoked such emotion in me. And I said, oh, my God, I have to live here <laughs> because of everything that they showed. They, you know, you're not even looking at an apartment and you already, just based on a video and a presentation, you already feel like I can live here. I see myself here. And, and, and this, I think, is my point, because it's all about perception and it's all about presentation and it's all about how you get your you're listening out there. Ante, I know you have a lot of very high-end buyers. So when they come to you and say, I want to live in this building or I want to spend this much money, what do you call from that? I mean, what 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 do you or how do you work with them? Because a lot of people say, I want, I want, I want. Like Sarah said, everybody has to have the latest and greatest iPhone, which I do. Why? I don't even like it. I have, <laughs> I have a great example. I have a customer who is downsizing from a four-bedroom penthouse in a very glassy building to a penthouse at 108 Leonard, and it's smaller, and she just wanted to have a pool and a steam room, and that was going to excite her for the next two years until she thinks of the next big thing. The have-to-haves, but how often is she going to use that pool and sauna? I doubt she'll ever use it. She thinks she will. Well, another point there, because we sell new developments, I sell a lot of new developments, and everybody has to have, has to have, and I crack up on whatever day I'm in the building, uh, like yesterday, and you walk upstairs to show the amenity floor, and it's empty. It's crickets. Always. Crickets. And, you know, these are things I have to have it. And, you know, Vince, you don't understand. I have to have this. And then when you tell them that you don't have a pool, I'm selling in a 30-unit boutique building. And my, my response is, why do we need a pool? There's only 30 units here. And, by the way, Equinox is across the street with the most beautiful pool in New York City. Oh, yeah, I, I, I just need to have a pool. 
I think one of the the real challenges or opportunities in selling anything these days, whether or not it's our services or a particular building, is distinguishing between a list of attributes and a list of possible results. So, for example, if you just sort of list out all of the amenities a building has, that will only take you so far. But like what Sarah uh, mentioned is that seeing this video and being connected to the result, almost imagining yourself in the space, in the emotional connection you have, I think to answer your earlier part of the question, that's how you end up selling luxury. Like that's how we, we try, we have to sort of connect with the essence of what a person really wants to experience and connect their potential experience with the particular property that we're selling. Now the million dollar question. Okay. So we get all that. We understand why people, you know, have to have certain things and how they perceive and everybody perceives luxury and lifestyle differently. And everybody lives in this town very differently. So how do you place value on that listing that you've just taken, again, $5 million and above, because you know not everybody's going to come to that apartment and say, oh, this lifestyle, I just have to live this way or I just need to have this, I want to have, I have to have. They're going to be the spreadsheet guys that go onto the you know, the, the calculator in their brain as they're looking through and calculating price per square foot, etc. How do you demonstrate the value in that apartment based on however you priced it? That's not easy. I had an estate that I was selling um, years ago, and uh, somebody had it was on a basically a lot like a three family lot, and one person came in with an offer price. They were also buying the next door lot, and um, ultimately it was much lower than what we were willing to sell it for. But I ended up creating this whole new marketing campaign. I staged some stuff, even though this is going to be a tear down house, and the same purchaser ended up paying twice literally twice what his initial offer was. He was going to tear the house down anyway. But it, it happened because I created um, an urgency and I created this vibe with a bunch of people that came through and I had him come back when everyone else was there. And he looked at this one image and he said, is this really the same property? And I mm-hmm. said, yes, it's the one that you're going to tear down. But the image itself created this vision that drove him to literally double his price. Well, so I think y- it's the vision of what you're, you're right. Years ago, uh, and that's a perfect story, years ago when I was running around the house, you know, I had friends who would buy properties, the teardowns, of course, you know, teardowns were the rage, you know, uh, in the early 2000s, or whatever. Buy the property, tear down the house. Now, mind you, some of these homes didn't need to be torn down, okay? But they tear the house down and they rebuild to their lifestyle and they rebuild to what they, their perception of the time, what the market was, what they wanted to do with it, etc. And then, you know, of course, turned around and made oodles of money in, in flips and resales. But, you know, that that's one way to achieve your your own personal, uh, you know, lifestyle need. You know, townhouses and penthouses in this town, you know, they're definitely a luxury. Not everybody, A, wants to live in a penthouse. Not everybody wants to live in a townhouse. You look mm-hmm. at the pricing of both of these types of housing, uh, and they're very expensive. Uh, townhouses especially, even though they've come down in price. But yet there is still a market out there for people who want to live in a townhouse. You know, I say today, looking at some of the numbers I, I look at in townhouses, you know, they're a bargain today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, a, they're an absolute bargain today. Not too many years ago, something that sold for $17 million is now being listed for 11 and 12, right. and in some cases, a lot lower. So if you want to achieve, achieve a, a certain lifestyle, look at some of the townhouses. Again, if you can afford that, you know, that, um, that type of price point. But value is is what? And Sarah used to talk to us about this in sales meetings all the time. Pricing is an art or a science. Sometimes it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. How do you come up with the right 
price. I mean, because sometimes, as and we're going to talk about sellers after the break, but sometimes, you know, uh, sellers just don't want to hear what you have to say, regardless of the price point and regardless of the, the luxury that's wrapped around this. Mm-hmm. How do you come up uh, with the right price? I think I think the key is, is you have to connect as many apples as possible from a technical perspective, and then you can add a little sprinkle on top, whatever whatever the, the percentage is on top for that lifestyle or the amenities, but it has to be in line and with with whatever is whatever else is out there. But if you have your anomaly, which is the top floor of 432 Park Avenue, you're saying this is the top floor. So that in and of itself, in and of itself, the novelty of that has value to it. So it is an art and a science. So we, I can't say exact percentages and numbers. It's very, very case by case. And you have to really look and compare and see what the numbers are and really see if there's an audience out there for it. Correct. Anybody else? We're going to talk a lot more about this after the break. But, you know, and, and, and a lot of that is um, also based on what the sellers, you know, will receive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll talk about how they receive things. I mean, you talk to them. <laughs> They've got to receive it. We're going to go to break. We'll come back after the break. This is uh, we're live from uh, Smash Studios here in Hudson Yards, Hudson Yards, New York. We're coming right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America 
at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit, you know, we're talking about luxury lifestyle and pricing and value and how you talk to sellers because that, 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 that's always an art uh, in itself. And I've, I've had the experience just recently with three people in a row. Um, and, you know, you talk about wanting to pull your hair out. Um, you get there sometimes. Anyway, when talking to sellers, you must learn how to listen. You must learn how to listen before you're going to ask any question regarding the listing. How difficult is that? I mean, I've, I've gone on, you know, pitches when I was learning how to be, be a, a real estate agent, shadowing other people. And these agents would just go on and on and on and on and on. If I were the seller, I'd be like, shut up, stop talking. And you mm-hmm. know, my, my famous mantra on this show is to co-brokers, stop talking. It's not your time to talk. Stop talking. You know, how it's, difficult is this to listen to what your seller has so to say? That is effective, you your pitch. I think. And it's it's more, sometimes that's all people want is, will you please just listen to me? Yeah. Um, you know, and you can, you may need to give them a little bad news, mm-hmm. but at least you can listen to them. And there's a, there may or may not be a certain broker who may or may not be on a TV show, has a little bit of a reputation mm-hmm. for overpricing things just to get the listing. Just a little bit. And then bit. saying, oh, well, now we have to reduce Sorry if that was an impression uh, that was a little too. I didn't. Did I say that or out loud? Give away. Yeah, and it's like, or to get a project, and it's like, well, you can't. You know, it is it, that can be burdensome if you're a broker. You've got something all of a sudden, and it's like, well, I told him five million dollars. It's really only worth four. Hey, guess what? The market is not supporting this. Now we got to reduce. I, well, I think not only listening, but if you are going to talk, that it should be more. Uh, question oriented to pull out the essence of what the seller really wants rather than just like let me tell you about me it's it's like okay great well let's get to the heart of what you're trying to do and why and why do you think it'll work this way and what do you like really pulling it out of your client Mm -hmm. I think the most most important question you ask any client whether it's a seller a renter buyer landlord why and listen, because then that will tell you everything because you have to assess their motivation. If they need and actually really need to sell, then then you know you're going to sell this property. But if they only want, they have a desire, then you can manage your own expectations and how much time, energy, and actual money you spend on the listing mm-hmm. based on that answer. So, And it's also important to just... The more you ask, the, like you're saying, the more information you're getting so that way you can guide them best. Mm-hmm. And to Sean's point, it's, it's just not fair to, an, uh, to a client to overpromise and underdeliver. You know, it, it, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting concept because, you know, you do need to listen. You do need to question and answer. But you're right. Um, you know, these people need to hear you. You know, I get frustrated sometimes when I see agents go out and they take their their, their presentation books and all, all their presentation materials. And especially if you've worked with a seller before, they don't want to hear that. They don't care. They're hiring you because they like you. They know your company, the company you work for. They get all that. Mm-hmm. So don't get caught in the weeds. Listen to what they have to say. Sarah says, why? Why are you selling? Why are you buying? Why are you renting? They will always have an answer for you. And that's where you... Not on the fly, because if you've done this for long enough, you have an answer pretty much for anything. But you kind of understand how to map your response to what they're actually looking for. Right. And I got to tell you something. When you do that, you're going to get a better response from them when you may have to deliver them news that they don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. A lower yeah. price, maybe a little longer timeline to sell. You know, 
I say today, sales presentations are awkward. And the reason that they're awkward is what? You know, people are still back in 2014, 2015 in their pricing Mm -hmm. schema. And when you try and tell them that that's not working, they don't want to hear it. What do you do with that? I just think our biggest, the one of the biggest things we can do right now to add value is honesty. Um, I think to to your point, Sean, uh, <laughs> you know, going in and overpricing something just to get the listing isn't only a disservice to the seller, right. but a disservice to yourself as well because you're just going to waste time, and then you're going to end up with an unhappy customer. I've definitely lost listings before in pitches because I was too honest only to then sit and watch that listing sit on the market, sit on the market, same here, same here, come out of exclusive. And then I've become the second broker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason that happens is because they, they come to a realization. They say, Oh, look, you were the only one who told me the truth from the beginning. And in a market like this right now, where prices are really struggling to be honest and upfront, even if it's not what that seller wants to hear, it's going to leave you in their mind. They're going to remember you for that honesty and that transparency, and they're going to come back. It, 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 it's awkward, as I said. Um, whether you're talking to them about lifestyle you know, change because they want to sell a, a high-priced apartment, they want to move into a new new apartment, you know, even at that end, you know, you'd think that they would be a little more flexible in the price you have to give them. But as an interesting point, you know, when you when you bring up, you know, and, and I've lost multiple listings last year in a building mm-hmm. that I've sold in now for 10 years because they didn't want to hear honesty and they didn't want to hear the real listing price. Most of them were still sitting on the market. Several of them have been taken off the market. I will be maybe the second listing agent, hopefully, because they all know who I am. But at the end of the day, I'm still seeing people out there overpricing units Mm -hmm. just to get the listing. And I mean, this is an age old problem in this town, uh, but you know, that's still happening out there. And I think we will probably grow into some of these higher prices as the market, you know, stabilizes and gets better over the next year or two, which we all know it will, but we're not there yet. We're still really not there yet. I think it, it also plays, um, in, in this psychological sense, you know, an owner wants their agent to be enthusiastic and excited to sell the property. So when you go into a presentation and you're kind of not negative, they perceive the realistic uh, approach maybe as negative. Um, so they they sometimes react to that. And mm-hmm. it's not negative. It's just the reality, but maybe it's negative in their mind. So they they want somebody who's like, yeah, I can get you this number and this will be great, but that might not be based in reality. So that's really the key as an owner to really be realistic and take the emotional piece out because their property is better than everybody else's because that's why they bought it. But they have to really play into that. Mm-hmm. So how does competition play into this? Because we can do our, we can do our, our jobs right, our roles correct, and we can, you know, be honest with our sellers and, and hopefully, you know, they listen to us. But, you know, when competition comes in there and I kind of gave a little bit away a, a minute ago, they're, they're still overpricing uh, just to get the listing. How do we deal with the competition? I mean, do, you know, I, we don't disparage. I mean, I don't believe I in don't, knocking competition. But I think it's important to acknowledge it in any listing appointment. You, you say, look, I know someone's going to come in and give you a higher number. Like here and, and you have to come prepared with as much information as you can and listening, of course, so you can address exactly what they're looking for in the right way and, and convey the message via, you know, the, their way of thinking. But you, I think the best way is just to address it head on and say this, I know this may not be what you want to hear, but here's why I know this is the right approach. I have a couple of uh, business partners and we are about to list one of our 
um, investment properties outside of the city in a totally different city. And we just went through a series of listing presentations. And it's funny being on the side of it because like one of the presentations, they came in with a much higher number and I could feel myself almost tempted like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I'd love to have the opportunity to get that higher number, mm-hmm. but I had to remember, wait a second, it really, it's the market that will decide. I need to look for the character. What are the systems? You know, what is the energy that the broker behind it has, not just what the number is. So I can see how a, a seller might feel that if somebody comes in with a higher price and somebody else comes in with a lower price, that maybe this lower price, maybe what they're saying is this is the most they'll ever get. And I think as we are pitching these listings, we have to come in and just as Matt said, you know, recognize that there could be another broker that comes in with a higher number. And if that's how much you can get, we're going to find a way to get it. Well, here's the thing, you know, so in the bill in, in a building, a condo building that I sell in, sell in all the time um, in Midtown West, I'm more of a listing agent than a buyer's agent, but I gave this guy, uh, this seller, a realistic price. And also based on the comps in the building, okay? And so, I again, I've sold in this building for 100 years. He didn't want it. He says, well, you know, after all, and he gave me a price that's much that was much higher. And I just said to him, you, you know, I've just given you multiple examples of how there are still three units in this building that were overpriced one year ago that are still on the market. Do you want to be number four? Mm-hmm. He got that and he said, well, you know, let's compromise. And so like we do with buyers sometimes and sellers, we split it down the middle. And so I'll put it out for a little more than I want to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, I think we have a fighting chance because he knows what the real number is and he knows in negotiation we might need to get to that real number. And I honestly believe he'll be okay with that. That's the thing. And I think we we, we talked about pricing last week when Maurer was here and a few others and we talk about it a lot in this marketplace because it's important, but I think what really is important is to kind of understand, and this is what I was trying to get to before with, you know, listing presentations can be, you know, a whole bunch of things and awkward, whatever. You really have to understand your seller because I know this guy will take the price that I gave him first, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't want to just get stuck there. He wants to know in his mind that, well, we tried a little higher, but not too high and we'll get you know, a lot of traffic or more traffic than if we went to his number Mm -hmm. and then maybe we'll settle for what Vince said the number really should be. Now, my fingers are crossed. We're not going to come on for about three or four weeks and that's fine. But the bottom line is, you know, this is kind of a test for me because, you know, I really didn't want to give up the listing like I did five times last year in this building. (laughs) Uh, But let's see. And I think that that's what they think about what are buyers thinking about in today's market? Now, we, we declare this a buyer's market. We've declared this a buyer's market forever. There are so many prejudices against sellers who want to price high, whatever, and buyers are out there low-balling and doing whatever it, is, whatever it is they do. What, though, is the mentality I think in the every, buyer's head right now? I think every buyer is looking for a deal, whether it be 5000 off or $500,000 off, mm-hmm. and that's just their expectation. Yep. If you read the news or the media, it's all negative news, so they feel like they should get something for spending their money. You know, but but I agree with that, Ante, but, you know, so my question to them all the time is, uh, so what do you expect? You know, what do you expect? I think I told the story last week about mm-hmm. the client I had. We just went into contract for 1.4, started at 1.5, walked away from that contract, went and bought something, almost bought something else at 1.1, negotiated down to 1.1, two bedrooms. And then she says, well, 
She didn't want to pay 1.4. Then she says, well, I don't know. You know, 1.1 is a good price, but the bottom line is, Vince, it's too small. What would you like to do? I want to go back to the 1.4 apartment. Of course, it was still available. Mm-hmm. So we went back to the 1.4. We're in contract. Board package is going in hopefully early next week. Done deal. But, you know, the expectation is I want, I want, I want. I negotiated $100,000 off the price to begin with. It still wasn't good enough. Got to take a break. We're live from Hudson Yards here at Smash Studios. Don't go away. Last segment coming up. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, so as I was talking about at the top of the show in the intro, half of the luxury condo units that have come onto the market in the past five years are still unsold. That is a big number, and especially for those of you who know Manhattan and know New York City and all of the new builds that have happened in the last five years, that's a significant amount of unsold units. The sad part is the homeless shelters are full and the luxury skyscrapers are vacant. I mean, when I was reading that story, I Mm. actually kind of paused and thought, wow, you know what? I never really put those two things together. Mm. It's a very sad situation. So such as the tale of two cities within one of America's greatest and largest cities, even as 80,000 people sleep in the shelters or on its streets here in Manhattan, residents have watched 
All of these sliver-tall condominium skyscrapers rise above the island. These colossal towers initially transform not only the city's skyline, but also how we live and how we sell real estate in this town. I mean, it's a true fact. From 2011 to 2019, the average price of a newly listed condo in New York soared from $1.15 million to $3.77 million. I mean, that's just in, in eight years. That's incredible. Insane. More than double. So what happened? While real estate might seem like the world's most uh, local industry, these luxury condominiums weren't exclusively built for locals. Okay? Take note. They were made for foreigners with tens of millions of dollars to spare. Developers uh, bet huge on foreign plutocrats. Okay, that's a word. (laughs) Russian oligarchs. And Chinese moguls. Saudi royal royalty looking to buy second or seventh homes. That was a cute one. But the Chinese economy slowed while declining oil prices dampened the demand for pied-a-terres among Russian and Middle Eastern uh, zillionaires. So when I teach new condo development class at uh, New York Real Estate Institute, um, you know, it's all, it's an all-day class, so there's a lot of, you know, opportunity for stories. And one of the things we were talking about in the last class I taught was just what I read here in that a lot of these towers were not built for local New Yorkers. I mean, they just weren't. People from foreign lands love the views, love the height in this town, want to live on high floors. Mm-hmm. They have lots of money, so they were able to pay lots of money. But all of a sudden, you know, for lots of political reasons, the foreign dollars into this country, into this city has slowed. Mm -hmm. And so that activity has really come to a crashing halt. As such, most of these units remain empty. So question to you all, when you're out there showing your buyers these new development buildings, you know, and you know what's going on, and buyers ask me all the time when they come to my new development buildings, how come you have so many units left? What's the answer? Well, I think that um, I think that this is actually starting to drive a change in the new development community. So, whereas once it was a tower filled with mansions and penthouses, now some developers are starting to build more attainable properties. Like yeah. like the one I'm on, Rose Hill. You know, we have three different penthouses, but we also have a lot of these like two bedroom apartments and you know one and a half bedroom apartments and a few three. But I think that. Like certain developers like this are recognizing, wait, we don't want to have a ghost town, you know, tower in the sky. We really need to think a little bit more about what is going to be attainable for the typical buyer. Well, well, and and that comes down to what we were talking about last segment, pricing. You know, a lot of these units are on the market and are left unsold because the developers still are not reasonable with <clears throat> price reductions that are necessary. And as Ante said before, everybody wants a deal. And even in new development, they want a deal. Mm -hmm. But if the developer isn't willing to give them a deal, it's not going to happen. And, you know, unfortunately, like this developer on the Upper West Side, can you imagine having to lob off 20 stories of a building that's already topped out? And we some of those units are sold. I mean, you know, I don't think we really know all of the far-reaching implications. We of, we, of that. we don't. But I can tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, if that does happen, I mean, that's catastrophic for the development industry in this town because now that gives right of passage to every other neighborhood watch group that wants to yell and scream about something. Oh, my views are blocked. Well, you know what? Welcome to New York City. It well, is what it is. And even the frustration is understandable. Um, Upper West Side has a very active um, you know, presence in terms mm-hmm. of the political presence. But the real challenge is 
how did it get that far to begin with? Well, like that's that is the thing that leads to the devastation. Well, if you read the story, and I'm a little familiar with this building, if you read the story, I mean, they were approved. They mm-hmm. were approved right along, all the way, yep. all the way, all the way. Out of nowhere, the city council or whatever comes up last week and says, "Hold on a minute, you should never have been approved." Well, that's a whole different ball game, right? Okay? You should never have been approved. Yeah. Excuse me. Now you want me to take 20 stories off a building that's almost finished? Yeah. I don't think so. You know, so how do you kind of relate, you know, the, the, the homeless shelters stacking up, mm. people having an awful time in this, you know, it's so funny, everybody, you know, everybody in the administration brags about how wonderful the economy is. Not so in New York City. Mm-hmm. Homeless rate has increased by 10 or 20 percent, in my opinion, uh, over the last couple of years. Actually- and yet everything is, remains vacant. No, I, you know, as far as, um, as far as that's concerned, I actually read a statistic mm-hmm. that it's gone up 63% in the last 10 years. Homelessness? Homelessness. Wow. And, and the reason why that is, I read at least, um, that it, there, there's a huge, huge surge in mental illness and drug addiction, which mm-hmm. is really, really sad. Mm-hmm. And um, there's also yeah, been, um, you know, people getting let out of mental health institutions maybe too soon. Sorry to say, but prisons also, yeah. uh, you know, so um, and they just their options are not really out there. So it's, it's just interesting because you have one extreme and then the other. Mm-hmm. And, and um, to John's point, really, it's like, what about the middle? Mm-hmm. You know, developers, they have certain acquisition costs and margins and everything that they need to to stay within. And it's just not that. It's not that feasible for them to build that middle ground housing mm-hmm. well, as far as price points that, concerned. That's very, very true. I think and that's why Brooklyn became so absolutely. popular. And and that that I is so one hundred percent true because I started a new development in two thousand and six when new development was really just beginning in this town. And I've watched developers put out the smaller units, the the studios to the one bedrooms to the smaller two bedrooms and sell them very successfully and very quickly. And then all of a sudden they got greedy and said, Now we need to build taller buildings and we need to build larger uh, room counts and we need these luxury deluxe you know sized apartments and then all of a sudden there was a little bit of a momentum and then all of a sudden it kind of slowed down and so they mm-hmm. started breaking up apartments into smaller units just to finish a building and then they snap right back into the bigger fancier more zillions of dollars, and now they're remaining on the market. We can blame the foreign investors, but you know what? You're not appealing to the local New York people who want to buy or to upgrade their lifestyle or to change their lifestyle or their living for whatever their reasons are. We're not building to these people, and that's a problem that I I believe is going to continue. Yeah, if you're doing new development, there are never really enough reasonably priced two-bed, two-baths. Right. We could sell those all day long, and it, you know, part of What about studios and one-bedrooms? Buyers are wanting to buy studios and one-bedrooms so we don't build them anymore. True, true, absolutely. And they're easier to see. Yeah, the the larger ones take longer, um, and I think maybe people see big dollar signs or something. Um, there needs to be a better probably market study. And, you know, what happens, I feel like when uh, the market gets great, mm-hmm. people go, oh, we can put anything up and they'll buy it and they'll Come pay great numbers. Come to my class when I hammer home the feasibility studies, the market research, the market analysis. We could all do well to take should that. Be doing, yeah. <laughs> that they should be paying attention to. Developers are not stupid people no. and they should be having all of these studies out there prior to 
breaking ground the, the or problem prior is to it doing takes anything. So long to move through a development yes, process that you use one year, five to seven um, years, and and then you start moving into the planning process. You line your equity partners up. You line all of your contracts up. It's like multiple mm-hmm. years before you're breaking ground. Now all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're building in one market based on prices from a market well, three or four exactly years ago, exactly. and that's and a real problem. Too. And the demand, yeah, because yeah, the demand does change. All right. Unfortunately, that's our broadcast for today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook or Instagram at Vince Rocco. We are back next week because if it's Tuesday morning, it's Good Morning New York Real Estate in New York. Shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Where's my Jordan? Be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us and I'll see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.